0: The point of today's sermon is illustrated by the true story of the dog, the doctor and the vet. By what happened after the old doctor bought a dog and took it to the vet. I'm going to share the end of that story toward the end of our time. You know, there are lots of things in the Christian life that are optional. Wine or juice at communion, kneeling or sitting to pray, singing hymns or modern songs opening the Bible to follow along when Bill reads it or listening closely as he reads it. But I hope uh, in these first two weeks of our Money Matters series, you've been convinced that giving is not optional for the Christian. Our Father in heaven has given us so much, we respond to him. I love that line in Dave's sermon last week when he was analysing the mistakes of the rich fool and he said to be blind to god is to be blind to the fact that god's gifts come with responsibility so it's worth reminding ourselves i think of these words to timothy that i think we've touched on in every week of our series paul wrote this to timothy it's up on the screen verse 17 and 18 of chap of 1 timothy 6 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Do you identify as rich in this present world? We can make the mistake of thinking that these words don't apply to us because we're not rich. But be careful with that sort of thinking. We can always tell ourselves we aren't rich because we can think of someone richer. But consider this. In 2011, Australia was the wealthiest nation in the world with 75.5% of our adult population making it into the global top 10% of wealthy people. Our economy had grown faster than nearly all others, our household income growth had been one of the fastest in the world, including, amazingly, having our poor's income growth larger than everyone else's rich. We have the highest minimum wages in the world, the third lowest debt, the sixth lowest taxes, and we are ranked second on the United Nations Human Development Index. I think we're second to Norway, but who would want to live in a country that's really, really cold and goes dark at funny times? We really are very rich living here in Australia. So the more important question then for us, given you're living in this city, in this country, in this year, in this century, does God identify you as rich? Somehow I think he would see us as rich. Then what would he have us do? Well, those words at the end of that one Timothy quote again, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Notice something, uh, though. Christianity isn't asceticism. It isn't like Buddhism where you have to renounce uh, every, every good material thing in your life. Notice it there. Our God is the giver of good gifts. He's the one, you see it in the middle of the quote, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What a generous God we have. God is the giver, as we've seen before. We're to enjoy God's gifts. And as we saw in our first week of the Money Matters series, when you have God's gift, what do you do? You praise the giver. We're also to share God's gifts, not to be like that foolish farmer we saw last week who stored up things for himself but was not rich toward God. So giving is not optional for the Christian. Greed is. We're to flee greed, as Dave pointed out last week. In this wealthy nation, we're uniquely vulnerable to greed. With so much wealth, we're so easily tempted to love possessions, things and experiences and rather than God. To put our hope in wealth rather than God. We need a liberal dash of God's disinfectant for greed. Which is that? What is that? Remember last week Dave told us what the disinfectant for greed was. Does anyone remember? Oh, Did I hear it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, thank you, Yarn. It was giving. It was generosity and giving. That's right. But it's not just giving away the black jelly beans, which you don't like anyway, or in my case, the black olives in the Greek salad, or dropping unwanted clothing at the Anglicare clothing bin. That isn't really giving, is it? It doesn't cost you a thing. Christian giving is characterised by that word Yarn used then, it's characterised by the word generous. We are to be generous and willing to share our wealth because that is exactly how God has treated us. So generous giving to others is not optional for us. And what I want to do in our, the remainder of our time is to, is to work out, think about what does generosity look like and how, and I, this is the exciting part of tonight, I think, how God helps us to be generous. So first a, a little background of these chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul, we have God's inspired word to the Corinthians here. What happened was Paul had this grand plan to collect money from the Gentile churches, including those that at Corinth, to relieve the suffering of the Jewish background Christians in Jerusalem. There, there was a, a devastating famine in Judea. And so he gets this idea of collecting money to help out the Christian brothers and sisters. He mentions this collection at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians. It's in chapter 16 at the beginning and I'm going to uh, read, read it for you. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then, when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. A year later, when, after Paul has set up this plan, a year later he writes to Corinthians. And Paul turns to speak about the collection in chapters 8 and 9. It seems that the Corinthians have been a bit slow in getting their contribution organised. And Paul writes to encourage them to get ready for when representatives of other churches will come to pick up their representatives and the contribution on their way to Jerusalem. They're dragging their feet, so Paul decides to remind them to give and to give generously. So have a look at chapter 9 verse 1. Chapter 9 verse 1 on 997. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people for I know your eagerness to help and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians telling them that since last year you in Archaea were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. It's amusing, isn't it, how Paul mentions the Macedonians, which would include the Christians in Philippi and Thessalonica, some of the, the places we know about from other New Testament letters. He he begun chapter 8 by enthusiastically reporting the signs of God's grace in the Macedonians, that even though they were much poorer than the Corinthians, if you glance over in chapter 8 verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. With that background to what's going on in chapters 8 and 9, let's continue discovering what generosity looks like. It's years since I acted as a doorknock collector for the Salvation Army for their Red Shield appeal. I seem to do other things on Sundays now. My experience though when I did it has had a lifelong impact on my giving. Because I noticed that when you knock on the door and tell them that you're representing the Salvation Army and will they donate to the Red Shield Appeal, many people, especially the men, would just feel in their pocket for the loose change. Sometimes, but very rarely, they'd pull out $20. Usually $2, $3, $5 with a, oh, sorry, that's all I've got. Of course, I thanked them and I, I wrote out the receipt. But I always was struck by how they don't, hardly any people made the big effort. They just sort of felt imposed on and just grabbed the loose change. I vowed not to be like that because Christian generosity is more than loose change. And we begin to see what it looks like in the example of the Macedonians. They gave as they could, out of their lack not from their spare change. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Generosity, as modelled by the Macedonians, is costly and and involves a sacrifice. You know, they were in their own trial Isn't that amazing that they wanted to give even though they themselves were were in challenging circumstances, were, were doing it hard. So if you're waiting till God gives you a win on the lotto to be generous, you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood God and the way he gives to us and you've misunderstood Christian generosity. Everyone can be generous no matter what their circumstances. As Paul says there in verse 12 of chapter 8, the key thing is that you give out of what you have. It's not about how much you give. So look at verse 12. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It's not how much you give, but that you sacrifice something to give in your circumstances. And because it's a sacrifice, it has to feel like you're giving up something. If you can give without it being a challenge or having to think much about it or feel tempted to worry about whether you're going to miss this, well, you aren't giving generously, you're just giving loose change. How'd it be if God had given you loose change when it came to you having grace in your life? No, He was generous we to be generous. He, at this point here in the letter, Paul is playing on the natural pride the Corinthians would have to not be outdone by the Macedonians, to spur the Corinthians into action. A bit of healthy rivalry. The Macedonians are an example to the Corinthians of poor people showing kindness to others. The, the Macedonians were poorer, were less well-off than the Corinthians. But now Paul moves to Jesus as a supreme example of the rich showing grace and kindness to others. Have a look at verse 8 of chapter 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. We've seen the Macedonians, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That verse 9 is a great verse for a Christmas sermon because it's all about Christ giving up heaven and coming to earth to be born a man, to live in our world and ultimately be crucified for the sin of us all. And what's the result of this apparent backward career step of Christ? Well, you see, it's riches, it's, it's wealth. For you and me, the riches of salvation from sin and judgment, a secure relationship with our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit living in us now to guide and grow us, a, having a certain place, a hope that's certain for eternity. that That's what we've been given because Christ gave up everything. It wasn't loose change that Christ gave, was it? It was his preeminent place in eternity as God the Son living with his father, and it was his life. The, the perfect son of God who never sinned became sin for us and had to die so that we might be treated as righteous and acceptable to God, adopted in his family, and receive, inherit, It's a great word for receiving, isn't it? Inherit all the things our father has for us now and in eternity. We, us, sinners that we are. What a rich gift, what grace Christ showed us and that God has shown us through Christ. This gift was no pocket change. It was generosity, unmatched, incomparable, peerless, unrivaled, unsurpassed by anything in the past, anything in the present and anything that will happen in the future. Paul, you know, isn't calling us To be poor, to be generous like Christ became. Don't misunderstand him. His point is that you see the example of others. In the case of the Corinthians, the Macedonians, and of Christ, you see the way they have sacrificed for others, and you take on board that example. So what does generosity look like? It's sacrificial, it's not as easy as just giving the loose change. I know when I'm being generous as I consider some giving. If I find it a bit hard to write in the MasterCard number on the response slip or complete the online transfer, if I have to grapple with uh, my greed because I could get something else or my worries about having enough, if I need to remind myself that God calls me to be generous and he's never failed to provide our needs in the past, then I know I'm being generous. I know that I, uh, it's a sacrifice. I know from the Macedonians, I know from Christ, that's generous. That's what Christian generosity looks like. Now, you might feel this is a bit, bit hard, So, I'm really excited to share with you the next part of the sermon as we look at how God helps us to be generous. Uh, It's a truth I want to drink more deeply of, and it comes from that section, the second section Bill read from chapter 9, verse 6. I reckon if I can trust God in this part and what Paul teaches and act on it, I'll be more generous, and it'll actually be easier. Paul starts with another encouragement to generosity there in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's easy to sort of read that verse and think, oh yeah, agricultural metaphor and read past it. But do you notice there's a promise there? If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. Is that suggesting that if you sow generously, if you're generous, you'll gain something? Well, Maybe, so let's lead on, read on and see. We get to verse 7, and there's a bit of a, a challenge there. There's a good point about give what you've decided to give. Giving's ultimately a personal decision. It doesn't matter how many letters you get requesting your donation. It's ultimately your decision, but you need to make a decision. Don't be reluctant to give. Give what you've decided to give. Not, don't be reluctant, because to be Christian is to be a giver, just like our Lord. But I'm intrigued by that end of verse 7 there. It almost seems a throwaway comment. For God loves a cheerful giver. I want to please God, so how how can I be a cheerful giver rather than a giver that struggles and feels a, a bit reluctant sometimes? How can I be a giver like Christ was for me? I think the key is in the following verses here remembering that God actually helps me to give. So let's have a look at verses 8 to 11. In those verses, Paul applies Psalm 112 to the Corinthians. That verse 9 there is a quote from Psalm 112. And if you read the whole of the psalm, it speaks of the material and spiritual blessings God pours out on those who fear the Lord, who, who trust in him, who in our our terms today we'd say who are his people who are Christians. And and in the psalm it talks about how wealth is in their houses because of God's blessing and then as it says there in verse 9, they're enabled to freely scatter their gifts to the poor. He's got this sense of God blessing his people so that they can be generous and Paul's picked up that idea and is encouraging the Corinthians giving From Psalm 112. So there in verse 8, he speaks of God blessing the Corinthians so that all times they'll have all they need to be able to abound in every good work. So abound means they're going to have more than enough to be generous and share with others. It's all summarised there in verse 11. Have a look at verse 11 if you've looked at nothing else. You will be enriched in every way So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is a mighty promise, don't you think? You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Do you see what's being promised? They'll experience God's generous provision so they can be generous to others. Do you see what's not being promised here? It's not they'll be made rich for their own benefit. Sadly, there have been uh, churches and preachers that have grabbed these verses and twisted them to make people expect that they'll just be wealthy for their own sake. But here all he's promising is that you will receive so that you can be generous. If you have a heart for generosity, then you can be confident that God will provide your needs so you can be generous. Do you believe this promise for yourself? I don't think it's just for the Corinthians. This is a general principle for anyone who's a servant of God. That's clear here. A key to be a generous, cheerful giver is to always trust that God will... Enrich us so we can be generous to others. That's an exciting teaching to drink deeply of. I want to better believe it so that when I'm struggling to be generous, when I'm feeling reluctant rather than cheerful, I, it'll be easier. Have you experienced God's generosity to you in your life? Have you experienced God? Uh, helping you in a particular situation in your life, providing for you in some way? I think we do, but why is it that we forget those things and then later we are looking and worried and unsure and reluctant again? We had an experience recently which I need to remember of God providing our needs which can help me trust this wonderful promise. So over the recent years, I've uh, unfortunately developed a relationship with wreckers of cars. What I mean by that is our cars eventually have to be scrapped and you can ring up the wreckers and they'll come over and pay you $100 and take your car away. We recently had to do that for an old car. We'd put enough money into it and it was just not going to be repairable again. That's a problem for us, because with three young adults in our house, uh, we sort of need two cars. But we don't have a lot of money at the moment, and so it wasn't really very attractive to have to buy another car. But this amazing thing happened. Catherine's mum, my mother-in-law, who never drives very much, decided to buy a new car, and she gave her us her car. I never saw that coming. She hasn't hardly driven for ages what is she doing? I'm not complaining. <laughs> and, and you could just say, oh, well, it just happened like that. But I actually think that was God's provision. Uh, we, we could have used money and bought something. We would have had to. We, needed, we do need a second car, I think, in our family at this stage. But we didn't need to. God, uh, in his kindness, provided us with this good little old car. God promises us that we'll be enriched in every way so we can be generous on every occasion. You notice that? Every and every occasion. I wonder if we could put God to the test. There's one more help to being a generous, cheerful giver in this passage and it's to think of the results of your generosity. You see in the latter part of the passage from verse 12... That Paul speaks of how people will praise God um, because the people in needy people in Jerusalem, sorry, will praise God for the help they receive from the Christian brothers and sisters in Corinth. So verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Uh, God is they will praise God because God has so worked in the lives of the Corinthians as to make them generous. And we were doing that at Parish Council on Wednesday night because we looked at the giving to the end of August and our for the first time, about the second time this year, our giving exceeded our expenses and our budget and we praised God, we thanked God for people's generosity in St Mark's. I enjoy being able to choose who to support with our money. The New Testament shows that we should provide for our family and then we should be generous to the poor and needy, to our church ministers and to partners in mission and growing God's kingdom um, outside of St Mark's. And it also says "says pay your taxes to the government. Well, this week on our day off, I was working on our tax returns. And the, my favourite, the tax returns are grind, but... There's a bit that I look forward to and I actually enjoy and it's the bit where I write down the list of donations. I, I grab the receipts that I've kept uh, in a file and I list them out, the different organisations, and I write how much and I add it up. And it's really good to look and think, I've helped them, we've helped them, we've contributed to that, we've, we've helped kids hear about Jesus through the puppets of Quizworks, for example. We've helped um, business people in the city uh, hear about Jesus through City Bible Forums ministry and, and things like that. It, it is um, a real encouragement uh, to do that. And so, yeah, think of the way in which you can help and what your money is going to achieve. That, I think that really helps us to be a cheerful, generous giver. Well, it seems that the Corinthians did get their act together after Paul's letter and Titus's visit. In a little note... Paul has at the end of his letter to the Roman Christians, he says this, and to understand it, remember Corinth is in the province of Achaia. Now I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. The Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. They made it in the end. Good on you, Corinthians. At the beginning of this series, I stated that the aim was to be content with less and generous with more. Today, we've seen that we are to be generous and to share. And that means being sacrificial, but at the same time cheerful, knowing that God will supply our needs so that we can be generous and to be cheerful as we anticipate the thanksgiving our generosity will have for others. As examples of those to be generous to during this series, we've mentioned organisations like Anglicare and Anglican Aid through whom we can give to the poor and needy. You remember Anglican Aid has been on the church news and e-news in recent weeks with the drought. We've mentioned CMS, Anchor RE and BCA through whom we can give to support and partner in mission and ministry outside of our church. But we've made little of giving to St Mark's ministry. The local church is the third destination we're called in the New Testament to give generous support beyond our immediate family. So it's of course no coincidence that Parish Council planned that our gift day would coincide with this series. And timely, I can't remember if it was planned, also that our gift day actually falls on our birthday, on our church anniversary today, that we're 107. So those envelopes, let me just mention again that Sarah highlighted for you, You've received them asking you to give a financial birthday present to St Mark's. Gift days are about making an additional one-off gift on top of your normal giving. And those two choices that Parish Council has identified for this year, there's our general giving, catching up because we do have an excess of expenses over our giving of eight and a half thousand dollars but also there's CMS. Through CMS we support the ministry of Mark and Rosemary Dickens in Singapore. And our 2018 commitment is $16,000. But as a church, as members of church, the congregations have only actually given $2,900. So there's a big gap that we could make up. Catherine and I will be giving a $1,000 Happy birthday present to St Mark's this year. It's less than last year's gift day gift, but finances are tighter and our savings are lower. On Thursday, I sold some shares and expect to get the money on Wednesday and to be able to transfer it. it. So please join us in being generous to St Mark's. I'm sure God will help us uh, with our needs so that we can be. I promise to tell you the story of the dog, the doctor and the vet. I heard this story a little over 30 years ago when I was a uni student and I've never forgotten it as a model for Christian generosity and commitment. The doctor was Paul White and uh, you might have read his jungle doctor stories when you were a kid. I heard Paul White explain his approach to giving. He was anxious to ensure that he was rich to God and generous to the needy and Christian ministry. So this was his rule. If he purchased something significant for his pleasure or enjoyment he would give an equal amount to Christian ministry so you can see where the dog and the vet come in the year I heard Paul speaking to us he bought a dog and he added up the cost of buying the dog and getting it set up with all those initial vet injections that you do and he donated that amount To mission work. Now that, for me, when it comes to Christian giving, is aspirational. I've never attempted to to meet him. Do you you know what it means for you? Think what it would mean for you. It would mean if you've uh, bought tickets to a sporting game, to the grand final, or to a concert, then whatever that costs, you're going to give as well. Uh, If you go out to dinner in a restaurant, and it's a special thing, you know, You're going to give the equivalent to... If you go shopping and buy new clothes or something, maybe, I don't know, maybe that falls into needs. I don't really know how he applied it. But I've never attempted to copy Dr White, but his example of generosity and trust, which, as I said, for me is aspirational. It's out there. It's the ultimate. It's helped me to keep wanting to be generous. It's always stayed with me because... Paul White knew deeply of God's generosity to him in Christ. He knew that Christ had made him rich and so he never stopped living generously. He was a cheerful, sacrificial giver who knew that as God had made him rich in Christ, knew that God would continue to provide all his needs. Let's pray and ask God to make us like him. Father God, we thank you that you've made us rich. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, for Christ who gave up all these riches to, to make us rich. Father, we thank you too that given that and given the way you've provided for us materially, we can be generous and, and imitate Christ. And we pray that you'd help us to do that, that you'd help us to work out what, what we have and what we can give and to, do, and to give trusting that you'll provide our needs. We thank you for that wonderful promise. I pray that you'd help us to drink deeply of that truth, to trust it more and more uh, and to experience its truth. Please help us. Amen.